Our scripture today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 19 to 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Mm. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And as you're seated, let me again extend uh, my greeting to you if you just walked in. Um, welcome here for our time of worship. And uh, let me invite you to, to pray with me as we begin. Father, we come to you and we are grateful for your word. Lord, we're grateful for a living word that you inhabit your words, that you speak through them, that you um, work by your Holy Spirit to breathe life into us through your word. And Lord, we just ask that that would happen, that as we look at this word, you would breathe life. Lord, that we would uh, become more like Jesus, that we would uh, churn away from the things that uh, displease you and that we would embrace uh, the things that are um, representative of full life in Christ, your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this morning we're continuing in our series in 1 Corinthians. It's, it's the Apostle Paul's letter to this ancient people that lived in this ancient city uh, in Corinth in the Roman world. And the person writing, the Apostle Paul, he's this, this person who has encountered the resurrected Jesus in this powerful way. And he'd been sent by Jesus with words of life, with the words of the gospel about what it would mean to be a people that are now welcomed into the kingdom of God, to be welcomed into life with God Most High. And he's gone out and suffered as few have in human history to bring the good news of that gospel and that life to people in the ancient world. But the Corinthians that Paul wrote to in this letter they were very different than that selflessness that Paul lived and breathed in the way that he worked in his missionary journeys. This was a people that were having trouble in their church because they were consumed with living for their own advantage. And often, as happens in our lives as well, when we live to our own advantage, we, we tend to step on other people to lift ourselves up. This is what was happening in the church in Corinth. So Paul has been showing them a much better way to live, a way that is consistent with who they are in Christ, consistent with the gospel and the good news of what God has taught them uh, through him about Jesus. And in chapter 8, we saw that this better way that it cares not just about what is true, though that's important. Truth is something we ought to love as Christians, but also cares about what is loving. Where knowledge puffs up, Paul said, 
inflates falsely, but love builds up and actually constructs the church in a powerful and life-giving way. And last week in chapter 9, verses 1 to 18, we saw that this better way is a better freedom. Not just a freedom of this world that uses the world's resources for ourselves, for our own happiness as we desire, but a freedom that is actually even equipped by the grace and the power of God to give up what we have in order that others might have more life. A freedom to give up rights to serve others in the gospel. And ultimately, as we've we've looked at this passage and these passages, we've seen that this is a paradigm that we see in Jesus Christ. It's all about what Jesus has first done for us. All about what Jesus is doing in us as a church by filling us with his spirit so that we would live like him. And this morning, Paul continues on the same argument, the same section that we're in about food sacrifice to idols, which began at the beginning of chapter 8 and goes to the first verse of chapter 11. And he continues showing us what true freedom looks like in this section. But what he shows us are specific examples from his ministry strategy, from the way that he lived as an apostle as he shared Jesus with others. We see what true freedom looks like in these examples of Paul and his ministry strategy sharing Jesus with others. So we're going to have three points this morning. We're going to look at freedom to serve, freedom to become, and freedom to share. And I've been praying for us. This week, I've been praying for us as we've been prepping and preparing to come on Sunday to worship the Lord, to have this word together. My prayer has been this, that God would use this passage in a powerful way in our lives, so that we would embrace the freedom that we have in Jesus. It would come to know it in its fullness and rejoice in it, be thankful for it, and to live it. And that that would then work to fill us with a passion to share this good news in this life that we have in Christ with others. So that's our prayer this morning, my prayer for you this morning. Look at our first point with me, freedom to serve, and just take a moment to review the context of the passage with me. So earlier in this section that we're in, about food sacrifice to idols. And in chapter 9 that we looked at last week, Paul told the Corinthians that he gave up a right that he had. He gave up a right to be supported by the Corinthians, a right to be paid by the Corinthians so that the gospel would go forward in the uh, Corinthian world and Corinth unhindered. In 9 verse 12, we see him say this, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, this right to pay. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. You see, Paul is just like a normal pastor or a missionary, and he had the right to, to be paid by the people that he served in the gospel. And in the last section we were in, he even showed why that was true from the Old Testament, from other parts of the Bible. Why even the ox in the Old Testament that treads out the grain has the right to, to eat as it's treading out the grain. And this is a good and wonderful thing. But Paul didn't accept payment from the Corinthians. And he did it because he understood that to accept payment from the Corinthians would cause them to think of Paul as their servant. Because there's this Roman system of patronage that was kind of corrupt in the culture in Corinth. It would cause the Corinthians to think that Paul was in their pocket. And Paul's like, that's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for me. It's not going to be good for the gospel going forward in Corinth. So I will give up my right to be paid in order that the gospel would go forward. And Paul chooses to do this. No one compels him 
to go without pay, to have to work extra hard in these other ways to pay for his living. And no one does that because Paul is a profoundly free person. Paul is free. See, twice Paul emphasizes his freedom in this passage in verse 1 and verse 19. He asks rhetorically in verse 1, Am I not free? And the rhetorical answer is, of course. Paul is free. And then in verse 19, For though I am free from all, dot, dot, dot. And actually, the emphasis is a little bit wrong in this translation because really in Greek, that, that word freedom is front-loaded. Paul's saying, free, I am Free, I am free. This is so important for you to realize. I am free. What does Paul do with his freedom? Look at verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Notice that language. I made myself a servant. I who am free made myself a servant. Paul isn't saying that he's a Corinthian slave. He's not. Paul's job is not to be a servant of the Corinthians just to make the Corinthians happy according to what their desires might be. Paul is not the Corinthians slave. No, Paul is a Christian. Paul belongs 100% to the resurrected Jesus Christ. He's free from being ruled by human opinions about him. He's free from needing to live to please others. And he has one unbelievably good master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul lives for him and for him alone. Earlier in the letter, Paul told the Corinthians how they should think of him. Not as, not as your slave, but think of us this way, he says in 4 verse 1. This is how one should regard us, him and the other uh, apostles and missionaries, as servants of Christ, as slaves of Jesus, and stewards of the mysteries of God. He's using that old, ancient language of household steward. And the job of the steward was to manage all the resources of the master of the home according to the desires of the master of the home. Paul says, that's my job, to carefully serve God as my master. And as counterintuitive as that sounds, friends, to serve Jesus in this way is true freedom. I want to ask you this morning, are you free? Because theoretically, you live in a society where you're free. Theoretically, you live in a society where actually human beings have never been more free than you are today. But are you free? Because I'm guessing, if I'm going to go out on a limb, I'm going to guess that you're not. I'm guessing that you'd like to be free to be a better person but often feel trapped and enslaved to, to not being a better person. I'm guessing that you'd like to have more self-control, be free from your impulses and desires, but, but struggle to. I'm guessing you'd also like to be free from the opinions about other people and, 
And maybe you live in this way where you're constantly comparing yourself to somebody else or, or you are constantly aware of what other people are doing and worried about what they think of you. And the cycle kind of repeats itself and round and round it goes. You're not free from their opinions of you. I'm guessing you'd like to live without fear. But you're probably struggling with different anxieties and fears and sometimes even feel entirely trapped in those things. You see, Jesus is a savior who came to set you free. When you put your faith in Jesus to save you, he does free you. He frees us. We were singing it this morning. We'll sing it again. He breaks the power of our sinful and our selfish behavior. He frees us to live a life of love in the service of God and all that is right and good. And he conquers the power of Satan's spiritual forces holding us in slavery to the sinful practices that we have as human beings. He frees us from the opinion of other people. Praise God. And he does it, the way that he does it is by welcoming you into his family. He does it by approving of you in Jesus Christ. And if you are approved of by the God of the universe, beloved by him as a son or a daughter in his family, then what other opinion can be higher than that? Or matter more than that? He's pleased with you. He's not pleased with you because you've earned his favor. You've done enough good things to get his attention. He's pleased with you because you've trusted in the Savior that he sent. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. And in putting your faith in Jesus Christ, God does this miraculous, unbelievable thing. He takes you and he unites you with Jesus. So that all that you are in your brokenness and, and sin is, is now on Jesus and nailed to that cross and killed and put away. And all that he is in his perfect righteousness and goodness becomes yours. His resurrection life living through you as his spirit takes up residence in your life. As his spirit reminds and assures you that you are loved. You are his. As the Spirit works to bring you life as Jesus has life. So are you feeling enslaved to dark and condemning thoughts about yourself this morning? The word of the gospel for you is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 1. Are you feeling and living in this enslaving fear that maybe God doesn't accept you, that he can't accept you. The word of the gospel for you is from Romans 8, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you, Christ City, have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He accepts you. He approves of you. Are you enslaved to overwhelming thoughts about the difficulty of your life and, and the things that you're facing right now and how hard it is and, and how you could possibly overcome them? The word of the gospel is 8.31, Romans 8.31. If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? Are you enslaved in fear that you aren't worthy to be loved? 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, to you. To you. That you should be called the child of God. And so you are. And whatever you're facing, I want you to hear God's tender encouragement. Just for those whose faith is in Jesus this morning from Isaiah 43, verse 1. Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. And you are mine. You see, Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And Paul is a man who knew Jesus. Paul is a man who has been set free in Jesus Christ. And that means that Paul is certainly free from the cultural judgments and opinions of other people. From the Corinthians, from anyone else, he's free in Jesus. But, this is the important piece, but because Paul loved broken and sinful people and longed for them to know Jesus Christ. Because of that, what did he do? Look at verse 19. For though I am free from all, I'm free. I have made myself a servant. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. He made himself a servant. To all, not just a couple people, to all that he might win more of them. And how did he do that? Well, he did it by removing every obstacle that he could think of, that he could work at, that he was physically capable of doing, aside from living in unfaithfulness to Jesus, in order to have more opportunities to share the gospel with other people. He did it by by becoming as culturally like them as he was able in order to share the gospel with them. We're going to see this in our second point, freedom to become. Look at verses 20 to 22 and the first part of 22. To the Jews, Paul says, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. So there's a background problem to this text. We've been talking about it. We're just going to highlight it one more time. Because the problem the Corinthians were facing was that some of them had this wealth and status in the church that allowed them to eat meat. This meat sacrifice to the idols that wasn't available to the poor at that time. And in their eating of meat and their freedom and the knowledge that they had that allowed them to do that freely, it caused problems by harming those in the church who were weak. Those who weren't in a position or having the knowledge to enjoy what they enjoyed. And because of the freedom of these strong 
privileged people. They cause these weak, less privileged people to stumble and to even fall back into idolatry and to have their faith in Jesus compromised. And the meat-eating Corinthians were unwilling to give up their rights in love for the good of the others. And in contrast to all of that, Paul speaks these words to the example of his ministry as an apostle. In contrast to them who were unwilling, Paul says, I have made myself a servant of everyone for the sake of the gospel. I have radically altered my preferences in my life and my habits in my life, becoming like others, meeting others where they are in order that they would live, in order that they would have this life in Jesus Christ. And Paul shows us this. He gives us a bunch of examples. He starts in verse 20. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. He's talking about that Old Testament Torah, the law of God, the Jewish people who lived under it. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? Because after all, isn't, isn't Paul a Jew? Ethnically? So how does a Jewish man become as a Jewish person? <laughs> like, Paul, I think you're missing the point here. You're already there, brother. You know what's going on here. Well, the only reason Paul can say this is because he is so confident in and lives out of a brand new identity that he has in Jesus. See, his Christian identity is so powerful that it sets aside everything else in his life. He's a Christian. He doesn't think of himself as a Jew any longer. I think of myself as a Christian. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Something brand new and so powerful that it, it pushes aside everything else in my life has happened to me. If I'm a new Christ, I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul taught everyone who puts their faith in Jesus is profoundly new. Profoundly new. What they were before has been filled up with something better. This new identity in Jesus. And again, I'm wondering this morning uh, where you're at and how, how you wrestle through these issues. I'm wondering what identity you are living out of. You know, when you meet someone in our society, there's a couple questions that we commonly ask. And they're all identity questions, right? You get to know someone and say, hey, what do you do? Right, because the default in our society is to think of ourselves in a lot of ways by the identity of, of who I am as uh, the work that I do, the place that I'm employed. Or if you're a student, you might walk up to another fellow student and you say, hey, what's your major? Right? Because you live out of the identity of, of who I am and what I'm studying. If you're in high school, maybe it's a little different. Maybe it's what school do you go to? Right? Living out of the identity of, of the school that I belong to. Or if you're passionate about recreation, maybe you like to kind of skip those questions and you get out of the real meaningful stuff. Hey, what do you do for fun? Right? You want to get to know what people do with their spare time. But when you become a Christian... When you put your faith in Jesus, the old is gone, the new has come. 
And the most important thing about you is no longer what you do, what school you attend, what you study, what family you belong to, which country you live in, what your hobbies are, what ethnicity you are, what color your skin is, or even what you think and feel about your sexuality. You have a new identity. You are a Christian. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And Paul's identity as a Christian, it's so radical that even though he's ethnically a Jew, he chooses, he has to choose to become as a Jew again in order to win Jews for Jesus. See, Jewish people are known even today by the distinctive religious practices that they have. Right, so if you're down, you know, kind of south mid Oak Street on a Saturday and you'll see uh, Orthodox Jews with their yarmulkes on and the prayer tassels and their clothing and uh, the, the sideburns grown out long and curly, maybe standing in line at a couple of the excellent kosher delis that are down there because they have distinctive religious practices. And this is not a new thing. <laughs> at Paul's day, it was the same. But Paul isn't under the Old Testament law and the ceremonial rules and regulations that governed that people. He knows that in Jesus, now who has come to fulfill the law of God, I no longer have to be identified in these ways. I don't have to go through this to be circumcised or uncircumcised or to have these prayer tassels or not to have them. It doesn't make any difference in my relationship with God. And yet, he makes himself a servant of all. He becomes as another to win another to Jesus. He makes himself as a Jew to win the Jews. There's a great example of this I want to show you. It's in the book of Acts. You can look at Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 3 to see this in action in the life of Paul. And there we read, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. This is Timothy is a very beloved person in the life of Paul. There's two letters in the New Testament that are written to Timothy that bear his name because Timothy was such a close partner and became such a close partner in ministry with Paul. And here's how Paul got to know him. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He saw something in him. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So maybe we should have said, or maybe Paul should have said, I make Timothy to become like a Jew to win the Jews. Right? Poor guy. Come on, Paul. But why did Paul do it? Why did Paul circumcise Timothy? Paul did it for the sake of the gospel because these towns that he was traveling through, they're Greek towns, but they had Jewish congregations and synagogues in them and Jewish communities in them. And he wanted to share the gospel with those people. And he knew that Timothy not being circumcised would have immediately put up an obstacle. You know, this is where business is conducted. You, you go to the bathhouse in, in those days and no one's wearing any clothes and it's pretty easy to tell who's Jewish and who's not, right? And there's these obstacles to sharing the gospel in these situations. And Paul wanted to remove those obstacles. I'm not going to let that word remove linger too much and move forward with the gospel. And Paul knows 
that circumcision doesn't make you better in the eyes of God. In Galatians 6.15, he said, for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But just like we've been looking at in our other passage, but a new creation, that's what counts in Jesus Christ. But sometimes being circumcised is an advantage to the gospel. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. See, because Paul wanted nothing more than for people to increase in the life in Jesus, he was very culturally flexible. And he willingly adjusted preferences and desires and his own culture to remove any offense to hearing the gospel. See, love not only considers one's own interest, as Paul will tell us in chapter 13 of this letter, but also the interests of others. And he became, as a Jew, to win the Jews. You know, in other situations, though, Paul did the opposite. Look at verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. He's talking about uh, the Gentiles and the Greeks and those who are non-Jewish. So when Paul was with those guys, he was with the Greeks, he spoke Greek. When he was with the Scythians, he spoke Scythian. Though he'd grown up on a porkless diet, Poor Paul, I'm sure that was another Damascus Road experience when he had tasted bacon for the first time. But when Paul had grown up this way, even though that was the case when he was with non-Jewish people, he would joyfully receive whatever food was put in front of him. Giving thanks, not making an issue with it. When Paul was with Jews, he showed them from their scriptures the Old Testament of the Bible that Jesus was the God who was promised and who has come. The one that God promised who has come as the Messiah. But when Paul was with Greeks, he engaged them starting with where they were at. He changed tacks. We said in Acts 17. And he speaks first. He talks about their own philosophers and he kind of gets a leg and he's talking about philosophy a little bit. He's like, well, you know, let me show you something from scripture. And he uses that as an opportunity to share the Bible. See, Paul removed every cultural obstacle he was able to, short of sinning, to share the gospel with others. And he says in verse 22, even this. And to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. It's interesting what Paul doesn't say in this passage. I was talking to Alvin about this passage this week and, and he was pointing this out to me. I think it's very significant. It's interesting that Paul does not say to the powerful and the wealthy, I made myself powerful and wealthy to win the powerful and wealthy. Isn't that interesting? I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because the only thing that you actually can do as a human being is lower yourself. Because I can't, as much as I should, and as much as we all should, love those who are powerful and wealthy in Vancouver for the sake of the gospel. We should do that. You don't get any points for, for, for being boastful in poverty and weakness. <laughs> No, no, we should love those people. But I can't decide one day that I'm just going to own a home on Point Grey Road. I'm going to move in next to Chip Wilson. That's what I'm going to do. That's my gospel calling. I mean, that'd be nice in one sense, but I can't do that. There's limits to who I am as a human being. But each one of us can become weaker to win those who are weak. Each of us can humble ourselves 
to care for those who don't have what we have. You know, when Paul says to the weak, I became weak to win the weak, you have to realize that he's poking his eye, poking his eye, poking his finger in the eye of the Corinthians. Because what was the Corinthians' big deal? They loved strength. They loved power. They loved their social status. Paul's like, yeah, guys, but you're missing the point. When you aren't willing to become weak, to win the weak, you're missing the heart of the gospel. And you're missing the way that God himself showed us this because God became weak to win the weak. We're going to look yet again at Philippians chapter 2. We've done it for the last two weeks. We're going to do it until the section's over, I think, every week. It's a great paradigm that we need to keep in mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, God who is higher than all, he gave us life by emptying and lowering himself further than anyone. God made himself weak to win the weak. You know, next time it's too hard for you to reach out to someone, think of this passage of scripture. You know, life is unbelievably hard. Can I get an amen? Life is really, really hard. But whatever you're struggling with this morning, whatever your weakness, I want you to know that God sees you. God sees you and he emptied himself, he lowered himself to come to you. You know, all week I've, I've been thinking about this passage and I've had this image that's been stuck in my mind. And it's in this image, it's been very meaningful to me, maybe it'll be meaningful for you, I'll, I'll share it, of, of a father who's getting down on his knees to meet his child where they're at. He's getting down on his knees to look eye to eye with this suffering child. I know for some of you that's to be difficult to, to even think about because maybe your father is so far from a good father. It's difficult to comprehend of, of the good father. But the image that we get in scripture is God who is a loving father who lowers himself. A father who looks into his suffering child's eyes to tell them how much he loves them. Face to face eye to eye, to tell them how much he is for them. To tell them and to assure them how much he is with them. How much he will never leave them or forsake them. How much he cares. A father who's not too busy or distracted with his life like I so often am as a father. 
to take interest and connect with their child. A father who enters into the childish play that kids get into, to know them, to joke their jokes, play their games, to meet them where they're at. And Christ City, this is what God has done for us in the gospel. To know you, to make himself known to you, to meet you in Jesus Christ who became human, face to face and eye to eye, embrace for embrace. To become weak, to become a servant, to suffer and to die in our place and for our sins, that we could have life united with him and raised with him. God became weak to win the weak, to live, to suffer, to die, because he loved us and wanted us to share in his life. See, for Paul, that whole paradigm rocked his world. For Paul, who who knew this love of God so personally, man, he wanted nothing more than to share that with others. To be a means in his very life of communicating the love of God by lowering himself. You know, there's nothing that makes the life and the truth, the gospel of Jesus more compelling than when someone lives it for you. When they lower themselves to know you when they meet you where you're at, to care for you, to show you the gospel. Paul did it to win the weak. And winning others for Jesus is the whole point. Paul wants nothing more than to share in the goodness of the gospel with everyone. Look at our last point, freedom to share in verses 22 to 23. Paul says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. There's a bunch of things I'd love to say in this text. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say what I wasn't planning on saying. You see the way that Paul says that I might save some. Some of us in a proper theology will get caught up in that verse or, or put off by that verse. Well, Brant, God does the saving. That's true. But the only saving that God will ever do is through using you. That's the only way that he works, through using people. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Christ said, I've been praying for us. I'm going to pray for you right now. God, would would you fill us with your spirit so that we become like Paul and share the same passion as Paul for those who are lost in our own neighborhoods, maybe even our own neighbors. We need the Lord to change us here. And you know what? If people accuse you here at Christ City of trying to convert them, like that's a bad thing, please don't apologize. In love, double down on it. Say, yes, I want you to know the life that I have in Jesus. I don't think there's anything else that compares. And I'd love for you to share that with me. After all, don't we love to share every awesome thing 
in our lives with others. Think about the things that you love most. Maybe your, your art, maybe your career, your hobbies, your passions. For me, I want to show people the places that I've been and take them to the experiences that I've experienced. Whether that's great food or a mountaintop, I want to share that with people as they join with me in sharing in the joy of that experience. But the treasure that Paul has found is the greatest thing of all. See, Paul is like the man in Matthew 13 who found the pearl of priceless value in the marketplace. And I don't know what he did. Maybe he hid it under a bowl or something and ran off. But he runs off and he sells everything that he has to possess this incalculable treasure. Or like Jesus said, the man who's working in the field and one day the spade hits a, a chest and he uncovers it and there's a treasure buried there and he goes out and he sells everything that he owns in order to go back and possess that field for himself. Paul's found that treasure. And the treasure is to know God. It's to be welcomed as a firstborn son with the rights of inheritance in the ancient world into his family. It's to be free. It's to have life. It's to have a new identity and to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in relationship with God. It's to rejoice with the psalmist saying, better is one day God in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Say, my soul longs, yes, even faints for you. As the deer pants for, for the water, so my soul longs for you. When can I go and meet with God? I found the greatest treasure of all. And he shared it passionately. No matter what it cost him, no matter what he had to give up, what preferences he had to lose, so that others could join with him in the glory and the blessing and the goodness of the gospel. Grace City, this is the story of our faith. We're here today because somebody believed this. We're here today because at some point a Christian did this for us. Becoming weak, entering into the life of somebody else so that we might be saved or our parents might be saved or however it might have worked. There's a man in, in the history of the missions movement um, in the 19th century named Hudson Taylor, and he was famous for this. He was a British missionary to China in the early 1800s. And while he lived at a time when many of his contemporary missionaries would go to China and they'd live their nice British lives, the nice British culture around them, and doing all the things that British people would do in Britain, in, in China, trying to share the gospel, Hudson Taylor's like, this is wrong. There's something broken about this system. It, can't, it doesn't work this way. And he wrote this. He said, China is not to be won for Christ by quiet, ease-loving men and women. The stamp of men and women we need is such as will put Jesus, China, and souls first and foremost in everything and at every time, even life itself must be secondary for the sake of the gospel. And so he changed. Famously, he embraced 19th century Chinese culture as much as a white British man awkwardly could. Putting off the clothes that he wore, wearing Chinese clothing, growing a pigtail, and being mocked and ridiculed by his fellow missionaries. And yet through it, God opened up a door for the gospel in his ministry. 
See, Christ City, we must be people who do the same sorts of things as Hudson Taylor, Paul, and ultimately God that he's done for us. We must do that here in our specific neighborhood in Kitsilano. The difference of, of doing that in Kitsilano is that Kitsilano is already a multicultural neighborhood. So for you, you need to grow in, in embracing a cultural flexibility and a willingness to understand and to see where each individual person that you're engaging with might be at because it's not the same. You might do something on Monday for the sake of the gospel. It's different than Tuesday for the sake of the gospel because this is the world in which we live. But not doing this is the reason ethnic churches fail. I'm Dutch. Got lots of family in a Dutch church, so I'm, I don't know. I think I can say this safely. We'll see if I offend anybody. This is why German and Dutch and Chinese and Korean and whatever else churches struggle. It's because they hold so tightly to their own culture, to their own comfort, rather than to their identity in Jesus Christ. And it puts up obstacles for the gospel. But to be like Jesus or like Paul, it's not to hold on to your own preferences. Neither it's to be culturally neutral, as if you could do that as a human being. You can't. You're not supposed to. But it's to willingly engage your neighbors where they're at, taking time to know them, like that father getting to know his child. To understand where they're at, what their preferences are, and how you might speak to them. To truly get to know them in love. Meeting them on their terms for the sake of the gospel. You know, sharing the gospel isn't easy. And if you're struggling because it's not easy this morning, I want to encourage you. It's never been easy. It's not an encouragement. But it's never been easy. But you are those that have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. The very one who emptied himself of all to save you dwells within you if you put your faith in Jesus. And he can empower you for this. So will you do it? Will you start? Will you commit even today and even this week to take the time to ask your neighbor for dinner? To take the time to reach out to that person on your mind right now to seek to engage them for the sake of Jesus Christ, that they might share in his life. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you and we are profoundly moved by the way that you have loved us in the gospel. Lord, for those that have never heard this before in this room, Lord, I pray that you would cause the words of Scripture to breathe life into their hearts, even right now. Lord, that we all together would share in the gospel with more and more and more people. To share the life that we've found, to rejoice in the life that you freely give to us in Jesus. Lord, would you equip us? Would you empower us? Would you turn us away from our idols of comfort and ease and whatever it is we're holding on to? To live more passionate, meaningful, fulfilling lives as servants of Jesus. We ask all this in his name and for your glory. Amen.